Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. with Rav Chaim Brook, who along with his uh, Besheret, along with his life partner, Rabbitson Chavi Brook, is the co-CEO uh, and spiritual leaders of Chabad Lubavitch of Montana. Uh, Rav Chaim, thanks for making time to talk. A pleasure. I have been inspired, as so many others have been, by your journey to, um, to adopt children uh, and to build your family. And um, I, we'd love to reflect a little bit on that. First, I just wanted to ask you, what from the Jewish tradition, what from Torah inspired you to uh, embark on this path? Well, I mean, it, it's, it's clear from the Torah that building a family is part of a couple's mission. And while conventionally that's done through procreation, bi- biologically, um, it doesn't have to end there if the biological option is not available. And we look into the Torah and you see people like Batya, who raised Moshe Rabbeinu, right? Moshe wasn't raised by Yecheved or by his sister Miriam, although they were part of that story. She, Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest Jewish leader to, leader to ever live, was raised by an Egyptian princess. Or Esther Amalka being raised, Queen Esther being raised by her cousin Mordechai. Uh, or Abayan, the Talmud, being raised by relatives. So, I mean, when we look into the Torah, we see that besides for the mitzvah aspect of procreating, there's also the experience that one has while raising children and being able to give of themselves. And I think that part of parenting is not just giving birth to the child, but it's the experience that both child and parent have in the raising of the child, the ups, the downs, the good, the not so, uh, the not such good experiences. And that makes us better people in the process. And so for Javi and I, um, of course, we, we did everything we were going, you know, that everyone tries um, with all the various technology that medical advancement that's out there. And the incredible people of Boinayol, for example, were incredibly helpful in that part of our journey. But when that part of the journey came to an end, we had two ways of looking at it. We had, I won't say which relatives, but one relative, a very close relative, said to me, what do the doctors know? They're not in charge. God is in charge, which is true. But doctors are also messengers from God to some, sometimes pass on news that we're not very happy about. And another relative, in this case, it was Javi's dad, who's a Chabad rabbi in San Antonio, said, Without even hesitant, he just found out that his oldest daughter and, and son-in-law are not going to have biological children. And his response was, there must be children in this world that are in need of parents, and you guys will step up to the plate to deal with that. And at the time, it was a vague concept. I mean, what did we know about adoption? But when we look into the Torah, you say to yourself, oh, you know, the Torah says, Serach bas Usher. Serach, the daughter of Usher, except Serach was not Usher's daughter. It was, it was Usher's wife's daughter, it was a stepdaughter of Israel, yet the Torah calls her the daughter of Usher because when you're doing the right job in raising that child, you get the honor of being called the dad or the mother of that particular child. And so I can't say that the Torah is what made us adopt, but looking into the Torah as Jews do, 
we definitely found lots of inspiration and guidance in that path of adoption. It's amazing, you know, and Parshish Bereshis, and we just, well, we, we just read the first, uh, we just started the book of Genesis, and we know the first mitzvah of the Torah is Peru or Vu to be fruitful and multiply. And I wonder, to what extent do you, do you view adoption in some way as a kiyum of Peru or Vu, in some way a fulfillment of the mitzvah to be fruitful and multiply, when someone, for whatever reason, is unable to biologically have children? Well, I can't say that I have an opinion on that matter, but I do know that the Rishon and many of the halachic, the early halachic commentators, um, talk about this extensively, and they even talk about it in the realm of someone adopts a child. You know, when we talk about the today in today's Rambam, we're studying in the, those that study the three chapters of Rambam every day, Maimonides. It's in the laws of Yibum and Chalitza, a love break marriage. And there are those halachic authorities that say if someone adopts a child and they don't have to go through a Yibum because they already have a child, even though it was not biological, it was through adoption. So in the realm of halacha, there's a lot of discussion. I can't say that there's a consensus because I'm not sure there is. But there definitely is great discussion going back three, four, sometimes 500 years about how adoption associates itself with halachic ramifications. And uh, Ramosha Feinstein talks about it even in the more modern era. So I think that personally, I do consider that God blessed me with a family. I always joke that when uh, fellow Hasidim sometimes will wish me at a fabreng and they'll say, L'chaim, chaim, um, may Hashem grant you your own children. And I always smile because they mean it in a very positive way. And I understand what they mean. They mean biological children. But I almost quip sometimes. Say, I, I got five kids. My hands are very, very, my, my life is very busy with children. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I, I yeah. do think that through Ravu and God commanded us to be fruitful and multiply, it wasn't just, you know, Oprah once said, giving birth is the easy part. You know, raising them, is, the parenting actually happens when you raise them. And I think in some I don't know if giving birth is the easy part. I've never been there. I've never done that. And I'm not going to judge, you know, say that it's easy. I doubt it is. Yesterday's partial sort of told me that, or two days ago, that it wasn't easy. Right. But raising them is definitely the more challenging part of it. And when you adopt a child, um, that all changes. And I, I, tell, I tell couples that are struggling with infertility, you know, I get calls almost every day. I mean, literally uh, four or five times a week, I get calls with struggling Jewish couples. Actually, now I'm even meeting next week with a non-Jewish couple that just wants to chat about the practicalities of adoption. But when they call me, I say to them that the moment we adopted our first daughter, Chaya, and that was in November of 2009, it was almost like instantly we forgot about all the infertility struggles and that, that entire part of the journey. Because at that moment, we had our little baby. Is it complex? Is it complicated? You bet. Adoption is. There's attachment disorder that children that are adopted go through. There's a lot of complications. But what in life doesn't have complications? Just because something's complicated it shouldn't mean that people shouldn't journey down that path. Right. Okay, beautiful. So let me ask you, did, did you have any ritual, any kind of ritual involved in the adoption experience that gave the sense of permanence that this is now family? So obviously, if a child is Gentile, they go through Gior. Right, they convert, and that's a ritual that that makes it official that they are not only Jewish but a part of our family because they get a name at that point. But if a child is already Jewish, did you ever feel the need for a ritual to concretize this as a family member? Well, when we adopted our. The answer is yes and no. When we adopted our first kid, I mean, we were in Montana at that point for almost three years, and we made a massive adoption celebration and. At that point, 125 people came to our shul in Bozeman to celebrate Chaya's adoption. And I spoke, I'll never forget, I spoke about it, it was Parshas Beshalach, and I spoke about the Jews standing at the sea, and they felt helpless. And I said, you know, when we stood at the proverbial sea with infertility, we also thought that this was the end of everything. And then suddenly, when the right time 
when it was meant to happen and the adoption was meant to take place, Hashem split our sea. So yeah, we did have a celebration for Chai. I think that maybe some people don't know this, that the court system, you know, when six months after an adoption, you have a court ceremony where you go and the judge has to sign off on the adoption. And for us, that was always the celebration for our family. Um, we have books called Happy Adoption Day. I mean, so we... So what we, do you do? Like, like on, at your celebration, what, what, what religious uh, experience do you, do you cultivate? The only religious thing that we've done with our kids is, is simply, for most of them, we gave them names at the Torah, and that was the, a big deal, you know, doing the name. My son, we have, four, we have four girls and a son. My son, we adopted at birth in the hospital, and so on day eight, we weren't even in Montana. We were still in the state where he was adopted. We couldn't get back to Montana with the interstate compact issues. We were waiting for some, we were waiting for some government offices to give authorization. So we we actually had the bris. Um, so we did his bris and everything. And all our family flew to somewhere on the east coast where we were in some random city. Um, but we don't we don't um, you know we we celebrate obviously the kids' birthdays and they know they're all adopted from day one. A religious ceremony. We always took the court ceremony with the lawyer and the judge, and we take photos with the judge, and we always took that as our experience. And we share with the kids that they are in the footsteps of people like Esther and people like Moshe and people like Sarah and people like Abaya. And I think in itself, giving them that religious connection, knowing that this is not, you know, um, it may be new for uh, it may be new for uh, for my particular family, but it's not new to the Jewish people that uh, we go through that adoption experience. Beautiful. And, and um, for, um, uh, uh, for those who knew biological parents, do you, do you make their, na- their names Ben and Bat, son of daughter of their biological parents, or do you immediately change it over to you? So, so I, when we adopted our first kid, I contacted a senior Chabad rabbi in California, and I said, what am I supposed to do? I want to do the right thing, and I know there's different opinions. And he said, you should absolutely name them for you. So my children carry, depending on the situation, either mine or Chavi's name. For example, just now in Simchas Torah, we have that special Rebbeinah Shalom prayer. We say when the ark is open and you insert your family's name, it's Shoshana El Bas Chavari. So all my kids are named, you know, with their mother's name being Chavi. He said the only difference would be when it comes to a ksuba or a wedding, then you have to put the biological name down when it comes to a ksuba. At least that's what he told me. And being that I haven't married off any of the kids yet, it's not a practical issue for me yet, but when that moment comes, I mean, again, because my kids know they're adopted, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a big deal. They'll know that their biological parents' name will be mentioned when it has to be mentioned. And we talk about it openly when the kids ask me questions about, you know, we don't have open adoptions, but they ask me, will I ever be able to meet my biological parent? And I tell them when they turn 18, I'd be happy to make that introduction. I'm not, we don't hide that from them. We, we actually embrace it as part of the experience. And, and I think that hiding, the more we hide from our children, the more we're asking for trouble because kids are not silly, they're not stupid. They know what the, they know that they have another intuitively. They know they have another story in another family, and hiding it from them is just it, it, it's temporary comfort. They're not gonna, it's not going to help you in the long term. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So just uh, probably maybe one other question. I wonder, you know, as a uh, as a uh, chabadnik, um, how 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 does the Rebbe inspire this work for you? Um, and maybe is there, and, and, and in addition, is there maybe a piece of Tanya, a piece of Torah from the, from the Alter Rebbe that you might want to share as well that, that uh, inspires you in this journey? Well, I think it's, it's, it's twofold. I mean, firstly, you know, the Rebbe himself and the Rebbe and his Rebbe never had any biological children. And so I know that the Rebbe was extremely sensitive. And we know this from a variety of stories, sensitivity to couples experiencing infertility. 
Um, in Rabbi Telushkin's book, the Rebbe, he says that someone once asked the Rebbe about adoption and the Rebbe didn't want to give him the strict answer. So the Rebbe told him to speak to Rabbi Soloveitchik about it, oh. um, which I think is an interesting perspective, very much Rebbe-like that, you know, if he didn't want to ruin their family journey. And so he sent them to a rabbi that he knew would be more lenient than that. I don't, I can't corroborate the story. I'm just sharing what I read. But I think that the Rebbe and Tanya in chapter 32, when he talks about how you interact with other human beings, and maybe even more specifically with other Jews, but in general, it's a human perspective, and that is we are not soul doctors. I have no idea, uh, Rabbi Shmuley, your soul, and you, you don't know anything about mine, and therefore I have to assume that your soul is way more superior than mine. And if I, if I move away all the uh, superficial part of the experience, then I have to assume that these wonderful Jewish children, that for whatever for reasons that are not their choice, they end up in situations where there is a biological parent who is either incapable or unwilling to care for them, we are to look at them at their soul and say, okay, maybe they're going to have some genetics that are not so exciting because they come from a bad, you know, some, some genetics that are not so good, or maybe there was some drug use early on in the pregnancy that may affect them, et cetera, et cetera. And there's the abandonment aspect. How could I just judge them based on their superficial experience instead of saying, hey, here's a child who has an incredible soul that needs a home. And maybe it's not adoption. Maybe it's foster care. And there's a kid that needs a foster care home. And it's not, it's not conventional. What am I going to tell my mother? What, every Jewish experience is, what am I going to tell my mother? What am I going to tell my sister? It's not relevant. There's a kid in front of you and you have the ability to care for them. Why would that be part of, um, why would that be an issue? And I always, there's no question, on a day-to-day -day basis, Javi and I always um, think back to the way the Rebbe would look at something like that. You know, the Rebbe sees a child that needs a home. You think he would second guess whether there's going to be, of course there's complications down the road. Um, of course there's questions of, Yichud and, and physical contact with biological children, these are all valid conversations, but that should never be the reason of withholding the love and life and an incredible familial experience that a child can get by being raised in a healthy, um, healthy, stable home. And I, I remember when, when I told my mother passed away about nine years ago, and when I came home and told her we're adopting our second child, and it was less than a year after we adopted Chaya, she said to me, I mean, what's the rush? I mean, you know, you just adopted. And I said, Ma, haven't you taught me my whole life that we don't believe in family planning? And she burst out laughing. And that was the end of the case. She never questioned it again. She That's just said, funny. I have a crazy son in Montana that That's is crazy. misusing my words to, to do his own thing. But we did. We adopted our second child. She was, she, they're 13 months apart. And the adoption was actually only 11 months apart. But if you see your life's mission as, as, as reaching out with love to every human being, then I think foster care and adoption is a natural response to that. Do I think everyone should do that? That's not for me to say. I think Baruch Hashem, their family's having 10, 12 of their own biological children, and they got their hands full. But for those that are looking, for whatever reason, their biological family is of a certain size, and they have room in their home, they have room in their hearts to welcome in another one, why second guess it? Just because it's not convenient? What, what is convenient? This is all about being Hashem's ambassadors to the world and create light, and there's no greater light you can create and they're taking in an adoptive or foster care child and giving them all the love in the world. Amen, amen. So powerful. That's such just a, my non-humble opinion. <laughs> such, such, such a kiddush Hashem. Very inspiring to me and, uh, and to many others. So, uh, Hevra, when you're in Montana, make sure to check out the Chabad of Mount Montana with uh, Rav Chaim and Rebetzin, Javi Brook, Yasha Koach, and thanks so much for your time. A pleasure.